0: Let's open up the word of God. Romans chapter six. And as we open up to that chapter, we're gonna prepare our hearts, and go before the Lord. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the blessings that we see and the blessings we cannot see. Some blessings we can't even remember, but Lord, we thank you for those anyway. Lord, we thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here on this campus. May you help us to have open hearts and receive whatever it is you want to pour into our hearts of all ages in every classroom on the campus. I pray, Lord, for every servant that you'll empower him or her father and that you use your servants all for your glory help us lord to serve in your love and in your joy we pray for safety on the campus we thank you lord for the worship team thank you father for those who do things that that we we're not even aware of but you see them and you're going to reward them and i thank you for that and i pray for the gift of teaching and the fresh filling of your holy spirit Help me, Father, to decrease while you increase and be glorified in the lesson and in the remainder of this worship service. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are, as I mentioned earlier, in Romans chapter 6. The title of our lesson tonight is Goodbye. It's as simple as that, so... It's not a it's not a sneaky message, so I'm not personally saying goodbye to anybody, so it's not a sneaky message, but uh, it's just the title as I was um, overviewing the letter to the Romans and praying about what lessons to do. You know, of course, the theme came up and, you know, just goodbye, you know, seemed like an appropriate uh, title to what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, as we do some preliminary study of uh, Romans 6, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, before we really dig into it, there's some things we can do to help us to find out what the topic is of a certain chapter. And those topics, of course, will help us to find the overall message or theme of that chapter or even the entire letter or book that's in the Bible, And so one of the preliminary things that I I did here is I looked up words that were repeated over and over. And you can do this with a Bible app. And so for the new King James version, I typed in the word slave and, and all of its forms in Romans chapter six. And what I found was that the slave, the word slave in various forms of that word appeared nine times in Romans six. The word free appears four times in Romans chapter six. The word dead or death appears 12 times in Romans chapter six. The word die and other forms of the word die appears six times in this very chapter. And check this out, the word sin, in different forms of it perhaps, appear 17 times in Romans chapter 6. And so you get a feel for what we're going to talk about in tonight's lesson, just based on those repeated words. Now before we get into this chapter, I just want to share with you as well that it's been pointed out by many Bible teachers... That the emphasis is going to switch from our position, our positional truth of justification, which we talked about um, in our last few lessons, the last few chapters. So it's going to switch from the positional truth of of who we are and, and just that blessing of justification in Christ. That that's where we start. That's just a fact. It won't change, can't change. is given to us by God's grace through faith. That is something that God does. He declares the sinner righteous, the sinner who repents and put his or her faith in Christ justified. And so we move from that to the practical application of the word of God. We move from justification to sanctification We move from being declared righteous to practicing righteousness, and that is sanctification. And so as we look at tonight's lesson, we're going to see exactly that, the switch from our position to how we should be living practically, which is called, again, sanctification. It's a process. We should be sinning less and practicing more and more righteousness or right living Of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in verses 1 and 2 in Romans chapter 6, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound or multiply? Because remember back in Romans 5 verse 20, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The transgression, the sin might abound. So that sin will see so we'll see how ugly sin is. So it'll multiply. And the law shines a light on that. And it also says here, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So no wonder the lesson starts off with this question. Then what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin so that we'll get more grace? So grace will continue to multiply? If grace abounds more than any sin, certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? And so again, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is anticipating that type of question. And so the next few verses are actually going to tell us how this death to sin happened. And beginning in verse 3, it says, or do you not know? That as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through or by baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father. In other words, by a manifestation of God's power. Even so, we also should walk. In newness of life. Or live new lives. Now the Greek word behind the word. Baptize. Means to dip repeatedly. To immerse. Or submerge. And submerge of course. Means cause to be underwater. Could also mean. To cleanse by dipping or submerging. Another definition of. This Greek word behind baptized means to overwhelm or to overcome completely, which is what the water does when we go under it to overcome completely or to be fully wet. Now, what we see described in these verses in verses three and four is what happened to the believer spiritually. That's what happened first. What we're seeing here. Being baptized into Jesus Christ, being baptized into his death and being raised with him. Therefore, there's a need to walk in that newness of life. Which is a picture of that literal resurrection that Christ experienced. So what we see there happened first spiritually. Again, something we can't see, but it's what we experience based on the word of God when we repent it and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And if you want to see that in one of the verses here, you can look at 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. This describes that spiritual baptism that we experience or should experience prior to getting baptized in water. It says here, for by one spirit, notice that the Holy Spirit is the baptizer here. By one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Whose body? Christ. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether you are Jew or a Gentile, non-Jew, whether slaves or free. And all have been made to drink into or share in one spirit. All believers share in one spirit. And so that phrase made to drink into one's spirit may also speak of being provided and satisfied by the power and blessing of the spirit of God. And so this is what happened when we said, I do to Jesus, spiritual experience, which we couldn't see. And spiritually speaking, our baptism into Christ Jesus. And so, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't baptize us in water. Again, He baptizes us into Jesus. And so spiritually, our baptism into Christ Jesus, what it speaks of is our identification with Him. Our association or connection with Him. Another word you can use, it speaks about our union. Us being united with Christ. That's what baptism speaks of. That's what happened spiritually. In when we placed our faith in christ and so not only do we become united with christ identified with christ but but also with other believers who are a part of the body of christ the church and now in our identification with jesus we identify with or share in his death and burial So spiritually speaking, of course, we were not literally there on the cross with him. But by faith, by identification with him, through the work of the spirit, we identify once again with his death and burial. That's what happens to us spiritually. Not only that, but we are given new life. Why? Because that is identified with his resurrection. And so, again, that's. That spiritually, that must be a reality if water baptism is going to mean anything. That spiritual b- baptism must be the reality first if water baptism is to be truly celebrated and mean anything. Because water baptism is a, is a picture of what happened to us spiritually. In other words, the old us was buried. And the new us in Christ was raised to life. And so what happens in baptism, we are, we are actually acting out what happened to us in the spirit realm. We're acting it out. And we're also making a public identification with Christ. As one preacher used this example, it's like you could get married to someone And of course, you and that person you got married to know it, but the public may not know it. And so as a sign, so that everybody else would know that you're married, you would use a ring. And so it is a public identification with Jesus. Just like we publicly identify with our mates that we're married to by the use of a ring. I like what one Bible teacher said about water baptism. He says baptism is a marvelous way of getting Christians out of the spiritual closet. Out of that spiritual closet by saying, yes, this is what happened to me spiritually when I said yes to Jesus. But also I'm saying that I identify with this Jesus Christ of the Bible. A good way of getting us out of that spiritual closet in verse five. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Remember, that happens to us spiritually first. And then acted out in water baptism, then certainly we also shall be joined with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Of course, this is future. We shall be one day raised to life just as he was. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin or that body that is ruled by sin might be done away with, might be rendered powerless in our lives. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. So right there in that phrase, you have two of those repeating words that I talked about at the beginning of the lesson, slaves and sin. For he, verse seven, who has died, has been freed from sin. And of course, the word die or a form of the word die was also one of those words that that was repeated over and over When I did my preliminary study now, spiritually speaking, the old man who was crucified with Christ is the old us who was dominated by the sin nature. And all of us as humans have a sin nature. We inherited that sin nature from Adam. And we talked about that in in a previous study. And so when I talk about us having a sin nature, that means that we are inclined to sin. We have a tendency to give in to sin, to give in to temptations to sin. And so this old us that was crucified with him is us before Christ. This is us BC. And now being united with Christ in his death. What that ensures, as well as our resurrection. And this resurrection is is talking about what will happen to believers who have died or will die. Because one day those, those, those bodies will be resurrected. And they will be built for eternity in heaven. They go into the ground, the scriptures tell us corruptible. And they're raised, the scriptures once again tell us Incorruptible. They are sown a natural body but are raised a spiritual body. Spiritual body meaning those new bodies will be dominated by the spirit instead of being dominated by the flesh. That's what it means. And so our death with him, being united in death with him ensures the certainty of our resurrection. It's a sure thing. In other words, in verses eight and nine, God's word says, now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Similar to what was said in verse five, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him no longer has rule over him. Death, in other words, have been conquered, conquered by Jesus when he was raised from the dead, when he was raised from that grave. Of course, we know that his body is not there anymore. He has a glorified, eternal body, incorruptible. And so that death that Jesus conquered actually set up victory for those of us who follow him. For those of us who put our faith in him and who consider ourselves to be his disciples, his followers, his pupils or students. But in keeping with that theme, the theme of the fact that, okay, Jesus did something. He had a victory in that. And so it sets up his followers in, in keeping with that pattern. I want to ask a question and the question is, are there any areas in our lives in which we are victorious and that we are willing to help others with? See, Jesus was victorious over the grave, over death, and and he is able and willing to help other people. And it's guaranteed for us who are believers to be victorious over that grave as well, over death. But what have we been victorious of? Have you been victorious over lying, over stealing? Have you been victorious over drug abuse or alcohol abuse that maybe you can help Lead someone by the power of the Holy Spirit and help them to overcome that same obstacle. And in doing that, we can follow that same pattern of Christ. We are victorious and so are you going to be. Because I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to pray with you. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to beat this thing just like I beat this thing. Do any of us have that type of attitude? Are any of us in that spot to come along somebody and disciple him or her? Of course, men with men, I mean, men with men and women with women. That's how it works in the Christian mentoring process or discipling process. In verses 10 and 11, it says for the death that he died, that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. He's not dying on account of sin anymore. He did his job, was victorious, defeated his enemies. That's it. But the life that he lives, he lives to God or for the glory of God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to the power and appeal to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Alive to God, meaning uh, alive in reference to God or living for him. Therefore, for that reason, for all of what has been said of everything that we've just read about, therefore, for those reasons, do not let sin reign or have its way in your mortal body. Don't let sin control the way you live, to put it another way, that you should obey it in its lust or in its passions and do not present don't yield or surrender your members as instruments. Or weapons of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members, your body parts as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion or rule over you. For you are not under law. You are not under the requirements of the law. But under grace. We are under the freedom of grace. Those of us who are in Christ. Now, the question is, why would sin have dominion or the rule over someone who was under the law? Isn't the law from God? Isn't the law holy? Isn't the law right in all of it commands? Yes, it is. But the law, of course, is powerless to help us to live a godly life. It doesn't have any power to change our hearts and help us to live lives of righteousness, lives that are pleasing to God. What the law does, as we learned in our previous studies, is that it points out our guilt. It shows us how sinful we are and that we are guilty and we are deserving of death. We're deserving of spiritual death, separation from God, no fellowship, no relationship with him. We we are we are deserving Of eternal death, eternal separation from him, eternally quarantined, separated from God, from his presence in a relational way. That's what sin shows us, that we're deserving of that. And also, if we're under the law, it leaves us to ourselves. We can't obey it on our own, as I mentioned, because it has no power to change us. In Romans 3, verses 19 and 20. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped so folks can stop bragging. And all the world may become guilty before God. That's what the law does. It shines a light on our sin, shows us how ugly sin is. And how guilty we are before a holy God. Therefore, Romans three twenty by the deeds of the law, by the works of the law. No flesh, no person will be justified, declared righteous or have a right standing in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so nobody will be declared righteous and earn their way into heaven by keeping the law. You miss one, you broke them all. I heard it explained this way. Great illustration. I'm not going to take credit for it. That's why I said I heard it was said this way. Can you imagine a chain connected to a rock? You're hanging on that chain. You think of those 10 links in that chain as the 10 commandments. If one of them breaks, I don't care which one of them breaks, you're going to fall. You're going to fall from whatever mountain you're trying to climb up. And that's how it is with the law. You break one, you break all of them. You're guilty before a holy God. I'm guilty before a holy God. That's why we need the grace of God. God's unmerited favor, his free gift. But it is under that, that, that freedom of God's grace that as believers we are under. It is under that his grace, his unearned favor that we find forgiveness. By His grace we find justification. We find that freedom from guilt. That guilt that we carry around sometimes. We find freedom from that. That power that sin have over us. We find freedom from that by God's grace. It's a gift from God. Even the gift of the Holy Spirit is according to the grace of God. Salvation itself is a gift. Because it's according to the grace of God. And so, yes, we are under grace. As it says in verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. Because we are not under law, but under grace. And as people who have truly experienced the grace of God, that should make us want to live for God even more. That should make us love God even more. That should make us obey God even more and live for his glory, live to honor him in all of our ways, in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions, because we understand how gracious God is. We didn't deserve it, but yet and still he blessed us with these free gifts. And so for people who like to live under what they say, messy grace, so God's grace covers all my sins so I can live any way that I want to. The question is, have they really truly experienced the grace of God? Because if you truly experienced it, I don't don't think you'll be thinking or anyone will be thinking that way. In verse 15, it says, what then? Shall we sin? Shall we dabble in sin here and there? Because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not perish the thought. Do you not know that to whom you present or offer yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. I hope you're seeing those words that we talked about at the beginning, the repetition. And so that's a, that's actually a strategy for studying the word of God. Search the words that repeat themselves over and over. It helps you to find out the the topic of the scriptures that you're about to study, as well as the theme, the overall message. And so we're seeing those words over and over. Verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. This is talking about believers from the heart, not just outwardly, that form of doctrine, that pattern of teaching You obeyed that from the heart to which you you were delivered. You obeyed the word of God from the heart. Whatever was delivered to you or you were handed over to. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I speak in human terms. Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul Saying, I'm I'm, I'm using a human analogy of slavery, in other words. I'm using this illustration of slavery because of the weakness of your flesh. Because you have natural limitations to understand spiritual things. And so he's using this analogy of slavery to sin, slavery to righteousness. And they would have been very familiar with slavery during that day and age in, in Rome. And it says, for just as you presented your members or the parts of yourselves as slaves of of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Was that true freedom? No, if you're free, if you have freedom from righteousness, that's not true freedom. True freedom, of course, is is freedom. From sin, freedom to do what's right in the sight of God. That's true freedom. And that's only found in Christ or through Christ. Now, what fruit did you have then? What fruit did you have in the past? In verse 21, in the things of which you are now ashamed for the end, the result of those things, those sinful things is death. But now having been set free from sin. Again, talking to believers, having been, it's already happened. Having been set free from sin, notice that. And having become slaves of God, it's already happened for the believer positionally. That's our position. You have your fruit to holiness. You have your fruit, which results in that word we talked about at the beginning, sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, sinning less, practicing righteousness more and more. And they end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death. And of course, that's similar to what we read in verse 21. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So in the study, we've seen a couple of main questions presented. And these questions revolved around whether sin should be allowed in the life of the believer. Shall we practice sin? Shall we continue in sin or can we dabble in sin here and there? And those questions, of course, have been answered in tonight's study. And the answer, of course, is an emphatic no. No, for the believer, this is a good scripture to read, and this scares a lot of people who are in Christ. First John 3, 9, it says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Whoever has been born again, which Jesus talked about in John chapter 3, when he was talking to Nicodemus. Whoever has been born again, born of God, does not sin. For his seed, God's seed remains and in that individual, in that person, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And so it's not talking about a, a Christian who, it's not talking about sinning as an exception to our lifestyle. This is talking about continual sin. This is talking about habitual sin. That is the pattern of your life. You eat, sleep, and drink sin. That, that's habitual sin. And so a person who's born again does not live in that manner. If a believer sin, it is an exception to the rule. It's not the rule of our lives. If that happens, of course, you confess it and repent to God. And he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then it says, for seed remains in him and he cannot sin. The true believer cannot sin. What is it talking about? It's not saying that the Christian himself or herself does not sin. That would contradict what I, what was just said and it would contradict other parts of the Bible. Even first John chapter one, it would contradict some verses there. So when it says he cannot sin, it's talking about the new nature. Our new nature cannot sin because he has be born, he has been born of God. Now as believer, we still, we have two natures. We have a new nature from God. And then, of course, we have the old nature, the sin nature that we receive from Adam. So if a believer sins, that that means that the sin nature won in that situation. And if we don't sin, that, of course, means the Holy Spirit is giving us the ability through our new nature to live the way God wants us to. And so that brings us to this word seed in this in this verse here. in First, John three, nine, because seed As some Bible teachers would would say, and and I haven't seen Bible teachers totally agree on this, seed could refer to the word of God. Of course, that will be valid. It, It could refer to the Holy Spirit. It could refer to the divine life, the life we receive from God, that new life. Or it could refer to the new nature we receive from God. Personally, I lean towards seed, God's seed. Uh, talking about the new nature, talking about the godly nature we receive from God, because that new nature is that we receive from God. It's that nature that desires to obey and it's that nature that is able to obey and walk in righteousness and holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, when I think of this, this new nature and I and as I was trying and I was I was chewing on this verse over and over what kept coming to mind is in this new nature, which you have is God's DNA. You see, at first, in the first birth, we have Adam's DNA. We inherit that sin nature, but with the new nature, we get God's DNA. And DNA carries information. It carries information that, that promotes growth. It tells cells how to grow, where to go, and so forth. What body parts are going to be formed from these types of cells or whatever the case may be. And so that new nature has God's DNA in it. And as we continue to yield to the Holy Spirit, we'll begin begin to grow and become more and more like Christ. And because God's seed, that new nature is in us, we cannot practice sin. And so if there's somebody who claims to be a believer, but the rule of their life is sin. Then they need to go back and evaluate whether or not they're really saved. That's what I want to throw out there but how can a person live in freedom from sin because we want to take some some practical lessons from tonight's study how can we live in freedom from sin and the first thing i want to share with you and you can write this down is number 1 don't be ignorant in other words no if you look at verses 3 6 9 and 16 you will see the word no k n o w or some type of or some form of the word no. And so that's the first thing we have to do to live in freedom from sin. Don't be ignorant. No. You know, it's like somebody who's been in detention. Raise your hand. Well, maybe I shouldn't ask you to raise your hand if you've been in detention before in school. I'm going to raise my hand. I've been in detention before. You know, I know now you're telling me I shouldn't be up here. (laughs) And I shouldn't be, but by God's grace, hallelujah, He allows me to be here. But a lot of us had detention. So imagine that as we talk about this first point of just knowing, not being ignorant, right? As that first stage of having freedom from sin. So, so imagine, imagine that you show up to the detention class. And you find out that your name isn't on the list. But you've been going to detention all week. You could have had so much freedom. So much freedom. You could have been going to the park. You you could have been, you could have been, you know, going golfing or, or playing your sports or whatever the case may be. You could have been doing all these things. Working out, movie night with the family. But no, you were on punishment because... You're in detention, not because your name is on the list and you're supposed to be there, but because you just didn't know. And how many Christians live that way? We don't know that our that we're no longer on the detention list. We don't know that we're truly free. We just don't know. And so we're we're holding ourselves back when we could be enjoying life in Christ. All because we don't know that our name isn't on the detention list anymore. So we continue to go. So that's why the first point is don't be ignorant. Know who you are. Know what you have in Christ. Know that you are identified with Christ. You identify with his death. The old you is dead. You identify with this burial. You identify with his resurrection. You have to know those things that we read about in this lesson. And that death set us free from the guilt, the penalty, and the power of sin. You have to know that you are free from sin. That's the first step that we need to do. We need to understand. We need to know what the Bible says about us who are in Christ. And if we are dead from sin, our old master, then tell me, why are we still serving it? How can a dead slave serve its old master? It doesn't make any sense. We die to sin. It has no more authority over us. But yet and still, we think our name is on the detention list. And so we show up. And our name is not even there. We must know that we have a new life. We must know we need to know that we make ourselves slaves to whom we obey. We have to know these things. The the second step is to do the math and believe the results. Do the math and believe the results. In other words, the the second point is to reckon. The word reckon means to consider. Consider. You add everything up, everything that we read about, everything that you should now know that we read about in tonight's lesson. Now you have to reckon it. You have to consider the word of God to be true. This is what the word of God says to be true about me. And so I reckon it to be so. So now at this point, you know, your name isn't on the detention list. Your friend told you, the teacher told you, the principal told you. And now guess what? You have to receive what they said by faith. That's what we have to do. Similar to what we have to do. We have to add it all up. This is what God says is true about our position. This is what happens spiritually. Our old man died. We're free from sin. And then the third thing we need to do is to do it. Just do it. And part of that is presenting our members, presenting our body parts to God, allowing him to, to use us. This is practical application. We're applying the word of God now. And so we have to present. And when we see that word present in these scriptures, and when we see the phrase, do not let it says, or suggests to us that we have a choice. We have a choice in the matter. We have a choice to do not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We have a choice to present ourselves, to offer ourselves to our old master, sin, or to our new master, God. We have a choice. In Joshua uh, 24, 15, he's talking to the children of Israel. He's saying, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other sides of the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have to choose. We have to surrender, yield ourselves, so we can now act out what we know and act out what we have reckoned, what we have added up and received by faith. We present our bodies as weapons of righteousness, Instead of using our mouths to curse and to talk bad about people, we can use our mouths. We can present our mouths for the sharing of the gospel or for praying for people. Instead of using our feet to kick somebody in the face, we can use our feet to go where God wants us to go to share the good news or to help somebody out. Present our body parts as weapons or instruments of righteousness. And the fourth thing I want to share with you is to think twice. Think twice, and 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 again, this is going to help us to walk in that freedom over sin. And what I mean by that is if we need that extra motivation to surrender to the correct master on a daily basis, it may be helpful to evaluate the fruit of serving both of those masters. Because in living for sin, it brought shame. And yes, there was pay. But the pay, it says, was death, wages of death, spiritual and eternal death, of course, for the unbeliever. And for the believer, yes, sin can lead to death. It can lead to an early death for the believer That's part of God's chastisement. It can lead to death. Speaking of sin, death of relationships. It can lead to death of opportunities. It can lead to death of a ministry. The wages of sin is death, both for the unbeliever and believer. And so we want to think twice. That's the fourth step. But in serving God, it brings holiness. That's our position is holiness separate unto God, set apart to God. And also set apart to God in our experience in the way we live, set apart from sin, set apart to do what God wants us to do, to do righteousness. Living for God pays great benefits, everlasting life, which is a gift. Verse 23, the gift of God is eternal life. Notice in who in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the main thing you want to take from this fourth point of thinking twice which, of course, would, would be instrumental in helping us to, to overcome sin or walking in freedom. The benefit of thinking twice is, or one thing to think about is that, hey, whoever we serve is going to determine our fruit. You Serve sin or serve God. The worship team comes up. I want to pose another question out there to you the question is, have you ever held on to something that didn't work anymore? Maybe it was a tool or a toy just didn't work anymore. And I bring up that question because we do that with the old man who's been crucified. The old man has been rendered powerless, ineffective, but yet and still we want to hold on to that old us. That old us who was dominated by the sin nature. But the scripture tell us in Galatians 2, verse 20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, goes along with tonight's lesson, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so is there anybody here who's having trouble with the old you. That old you who was crucified with Christ. When you said, I do to Jesus, that old you was crucified, that old man dominated by sin. Lived a life of ugliness and destruction. Is there anybody here who's having trouble with the old you? And in light of what we study today, just so want to share with you, if that's you and all of us need to do this, if that's you, I would encourage you that, that, hey, it's time to say goodbye to that old man. It's time to say goodbye to that old you who serves sin. It's time to say goodbye to that old you who had you in trouble all the time. That old you who had you in jail all the time. The old you who abuse people physically and verbally. It's time to say goodbye to that old man that was crucified with Christ, the one who used to steal things all the time. It's time to say goodbye to that old you who always participated in sexual sin. It's it's time to say goodbye to that old man because that's not you anymore. So stop holding on to that old man. That That is not you. Folks may text you and invite you to stuff that you don't even go to anymore, but you can say goodbye. That is that is not me anymore. Or they may bring up stuff from the past and say, oh, I remember when you were like this. So I don't want to hear any testimony that you have to share. But that's not me anymore. I said goodbye to that old man. And I would encourage all of you. In your hearts to say goodbye. Stop holding on to that old man. Stop allowing him or her, that old you that was dominated by that sin nature to creep up and, and, uh, lead you into giving in to some type of temptation. You have the word of God. That person is dead. Whatever you remembered about me, that's not me anymore. I said goodbye. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us a new nature. That's from you. We thank you for giving to us the gift of your Holy Spirit to help us to obey you. Oh, Father, we we declare it by faith. We receive it by faith that... We are dead to our old master. Sin. And we believe it. Because it's in your word. And you are not like man. That you should lie. So father. If there's anyone in here. Who's having problems. Accepting. What has happened in their life. Spiritually. When they had when they said yes to Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would remove those barriers. Help them, Lord, to receive by faith who you say they are, what you say they have, and what you say they are freed from. Oh, Father, we pray for a life of victory for each and every person in this building tonight. Give us the courage, Lord, to in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions, to say goodbye for good to that old man. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for your attentiveness, your prayers. Just all your support in various ways. Thank God for our faithful worship team i wish i could thank them every every wednesday they're awesome but may god bless you may god keep you and use you in the mighty way this week and again if i don't get to talk to you personally before you leave we love you here god bless you god keep you amen
1: Love no.